I'm Brian Cosgrove, and it's my pleasure to be joined by Jonathan Tisch, who is the chairman and CEO of Lowe's Hotels and Company, co-owner of the New York Giants, and longtime EastEnder. Welcome, Jonathan. Brian, good morning. It is wonderful to be with you and really appreciate the opportunity. Well, we're grateful for your time. We know you're a busy guy. I thought we'd start at the beginning for you and your family. And correct me if I'm wrong, but that might be back in about 1935 in Brooklyn with your dad, Bob Tisch, and your uncle Larry? That is correct. They were living in Brooklyn with their parents, my grandparents, Sadie and Al Tisch. And in those days, the family were in the, as it was affectionately called, it was the rag trade. It was a, uh, a segment, if you will, of the fashion industry. But they truly were, were selling pieces of fabric that others would use to design clothing. And it was in the, the late 30s, the early 40s that this was their business. And, and they would occasionally come into Manhattan. But uh, my father went to Erasmus and grew up in Bensonhurst. And so the early, early years of the family did, did take place in Brooklyn. And my grandfather uh, actually played basketball for CCNY. Hmm. And so he had come over with his parents, and that was the early days of our family being uh, rooted in New York City. Gotcha. Now, they decide to take a very big risk, and obviously the mid-30s is a very tough time during the Depression, and they decide to buy a couple of boys' camps in Lakewood, New Jersey? Well, they actually didn't buy them. They okay. leased them. All right. And they had read in the newspaper about a family, the Seiden family, who were living in Lakewood at the time for... Uh, your listeners, that is, who don't know New Jersey geography, it, it is about southwest of New York City, and they got in the family car, and they had read in the paper that the summer camp, it was for boys and girls, mm-hmm. it was called Camp Lincoln Laurel, Lincoln was the boys' camp, Laurel was the girls' camp, oh, gotcha. and they looked at each other and they said, well, we don't really know anything about running a camp, but they had the business acumen and they had the curiosity and they had the knowledge to take over the camp and ran that camp for a couple of summers. And then a few years later, the same family, the Seiden family, as I mentioned, also owned the big hotel in town, and that was called the Laurel in the Pines. And the Seiden family came to our family and said, you're running our summer camp and you're doing a very good job. Would you be interested in also running our hotel? And that is actually how, in the uh, mid-40s, as the war was coming to an end, that is how they got into the hotel business. Well, it sounds like uh, your dad and uh, your Uncle Larry, I mean, they just, this was, this is something that came to them uh, almost naturally, the, the hospitality and hotel business, right? They just took to it? Very much so. Uh, my uncle had gone to NYU. My father started at Bucknell. And then that got interrupted after his freshman year by the war. He spent one year in the Army. And then when the war came to an end, he decided he did not want to go back to Bucknell, and which I can't even, I, I think about it now, and obviously all we do is get on a, an airplane. Mm-hmm. But he uh, enrolled in the University of Michigan, and that is actually where he met my mother, Joan Tisch. Oh, nice. So Bob Tisch growing up in Brooklyn, Joan Tisch growing up, across the street from the Museum of Natural History on Central Park West. And she had gone to a preparatory boarding school in New Jersey 
and she graduated from there in two and a half years. That was her high school experience, and she decided to go to Ann Arbor, and my parents met on the steps of the undergraduate library at the University of Michigan in 1946. Oh, nice. And so they they took over this hotel, and you had mentioned their abilities, their interests, their curiosity, really came together as they were running the Laurel and the Pines Hotel. My uncle, and this is a partnership that started in the 30s, obviously they were brothers, uh, and went until uh, my uncle passed away in 2013, and my father passed, excuse me, 2003, Mm -hmm. and my father passed away in 2005. This was the partnership of Bob and Larry Tisch. Larry was called Mr. Inside because he was the numbers guy. He could look at a balance sheet. He could ask you questions about your business. And in five questions, he would know more about your business than than you might. Uh, So he was Mr. Inside, and my father was always referred to as Mr. Outside. He had an extremely gregarious, engaging personality and was just so easy to be around and made people feel so comfortable. So this partnership that started as brothers in the 30s in Brooklyn just evolved. And in a sense, it still exists today because, as I mentioned, they start with a summer camp in a hotel in New Jersey, and that led to what is Lowe's Corporation that I am blessed to run with my two cousins. So the sense of partnership, the sense of understanding how people, by working together, can create value and create opportunity still exists today, almost a century later. I want to remind folks, if you're just joining us, I'm Brian Cosgrove, and this is WLIW-FM's In Conversation. And it's a pleasure to have with us Jonathan Tisch. Jonathan is chairman and CEO of Lowe's Hotels and Company, co-owner of the New York Giants, and longtime East Ender. So uh, Lakewood, New Jersey, that leads to where, you know, and, and correct me if I've got this uh, the timeline wrong here, that leads to Atlantic City, and that's where you were born in the early 50s? Very true, Brian. Okay. I was born in 1953 in Atlantic City, and the reason they went a little further south in the great state of New Jersey is for opportunity. Mm-hmm. They learned a lot by running the hotel in Lakewood, but then they also uh, expanded a bit. They had hotels in the Catskills, and they got quite good at the hotel business. This was as uh, the the war really had was behind us. The economy was starting to grow in our country. Eisenhower was president. And my brother and sister, who are older than I am, were born in Lakewood, but I was born in Atlantic City. At one point, the family had five hotels in Atlantic City. The most famous was a property called the Tramore. And the story about the Tramore is that as Atlantic City started to experience some challenges once jet travel became more prevalent and people started to fly to Florida or fly to the Caribbean instead of getting in their cars and going to a resort town like Atlantic City, which obviously was more of a summer resort, Atlantic City had uh, its share of challenges. And so slowly they started to sell the properties in Atlantic City and they couldn't sell the tramway. It was a 
big monster of a hotel. It was about 500 rooms right on the boardwalk in Atlantic City. And in those days, rooms are going for $15, $20 a night. But it had great food and beverage outlets, and there was a a glamour about it. There was a sense of excitement. This was when the Miss America pageant was in all its glory. And and my father was a judge one year in in the... late 50s, early 60s for the Miss America pageant and all the stores on the boardwalk. But they couldn't sell the Tramor, so they decided to try to just sell the land. Right. And to be able to sell the land, they had to implode the hotel. Huh. And if you are of a certain age, if your listeners are of a certain age, right. they may remember the movie Atlantic City oh, with, sure. Burt La- with Burt Lancaster. And Susan the Sarandon, The opening right? scene of the movie yep. is the Tramor Hotel being imploded. Oh, my gosh. That is a great and, independent movie. So they, they, they ended up selling the land mm-hmm. in the 60s to a developer. And developer after developer after developer never built on it. And that piece of land in New Jersey and uh, certainly Atlantic City has gone through booms and busts and booms and busts. And so the piece of land where the Tramore Hotel used to be is still vacant. You know, Jonathan, you know, we really cannot do your family history and your personal experience any justice within the confines of a half an hour. So uh, I hope you'll excuse me, but I want to get to the fact that you moved down, you guys went down to Florida Next, yes. right? Well, that this is this is where the entrepreneurial spirit of Bob and Larry Tish and their parents, Sadie and Al, and, and I should note that my grandmother was a working woman way before it became uh, a thing that obviously we embrace today. Right. She was as much a part of the success of this family as the matriarch uh, and the mother of Bob and Larry Tish and her husband, Al Tish, my grandfather. She was involved in every decision. In 1956, they took a real chance and they designed and built what became the Americana of Bell Harbor. Mm -hmm. It opened in 1956. Everybody thought that they were crazy. Opened with 700 rooms, lots of meeting space. And the reason people thought that they had lost their minds is that (laughs) prior to that, all the activity had been further south. It was the Fontainebleau. It was the Eden Rock. It was the Doral. And here they take a chance and build in Bell Harbor. And the hotel was extremely successful. The story that I like to tell today as Miami and South Florida are booming in the current environment we find ourselves in, that the tennis courts, and the hotel was on Collins Avenue and 96th Street, the tennis courts for the Americana Hotel were across Collins Avenue, and my father and uncle in the early 60s sold that land to the Whitman family so that they could build the Bell Harbor shops. Hmm. Bell Harbor shops are the most successful per square foot retail mall in the country. And the land that they sit on were the former tennis shops, tennis courts of the Americana Hotel. In 1972, they sold the Americana in Bell Harbor. There was one in San Juan. There was one on 7th Avenue here in New York City. And one other property. In 72, they sold the hotels to American Airlines. American Airlines thought that they could have a whole marketing campaign, fly American, stay Americana. Didn't really work out so well. And a year later, 
American Airlines sold those hotels to Sheridan, which was not part of Starwood in those days, separate company. Right. And it became the Sheridan Val Harbor. And it stayed that way until about eight or nine years ago when Related bought the entire site, tore down the Americana, which was really a sad moment for many, especially our family, because the hotel was so well known as a Morris Lapidus design property that had so many elements that were so part of his uh, lexography of how he would build and design hotels, but they tore it down and it's now the St. Regis Bell Harbor. I just want to remind folks, if you're joining us, I'm Brian Cosgrove. This is WLIWFM's In Conversation, and it's a pleasure to be with Jonathan Tisch, chairman and CEO of Lowe's Hotels and Company, co-owner of the New York Giants, and a long, long time East Ender. Uh, you know, the, the, the I don't play much chess, and I know this is a this is a great way to work in business. You got to think ahead, and boy, it sounds like if you don't mind me being so familiar, Bob and Larry were three moves ahead all the time. And the, the fact that you that they went ahead and bought where you get your name for the hotels, the Lowe's movie theaters for the properties was that is very much the yeah, that's a genius Brian, move. That was are, a genius you, move. It's a, you you have come to understand their <laughs> their brilliance and yeah. or as you just referred to it, their their genius. In 1958 59, under the Sherman Antitrust Act, the government separated. Lowe's, uh, Lowe's Hotels, Lowe's Movie Theaters, right. and MGM. In the old days, MGM would make a movie. It would immediately go into a Lowe's Theater, and the government thought that was a monopoly. And so they separated the two companies. And in, starting in 59, going into 60, they bought up control of the Lowe's Theater organization, not because they wanted to show movies, but to your point, they wanted the land underneath the hmm. theaters to build hotels. Boy, and forward our thinking. Family, yeah. yep, our family was living in Bal Harbor at the time. My uh, aunt and uncle and their four boys moved to New York in 1960. We moved to New York in 1961. And in 1963, the then-named Summit Hotel opened on 53rd and Lex on the site of what was the Lowe's Lexington Theater. Gotcha. And that very famous shot of Marilyn Monroe standing over a subway grate with her skirt flying up in the air as the subway right. zoomed underneath her, uh -huh. that was in front of what was then the Lowe's Lexington Theater that became the Summit Hotel in 1963. The seven-year itch, right? Yep. Yeah, exactly. absolutely. Now, yes. jo and, and Jonathan, now, along the, and I was a kid and as a teenager, you're also working for the family, right? You're, you're running the front desk from time to time. You're learning. You're not. You're, you're working in the family business, right? Oh, very much so. Right. Uh, as I mentioned, I've got an older brother and older sister. I've got four cousins. We were pretty much raised as one family. Mm -hmm. We have all worked in various roles in hotels. So as, uh, when I was five, as, uh, I probably needed a box to look over the front desk <laughs> to stand on so I could check somebody in. In those days, obviously, there was no technology. Everything yeah. was manual. Yeah. And there were systems in place where you would check somebody in and you'd have to print it in triplicate and, and quadruplicate and one slip would go here and one slip would go there. And, and I did that for many, many years, worked in every specific 
role in a hotel, which I think really educated me today as chairman and CEO of Lowe's Hotels & Co. Absolutely. About how important our team members are. Yep. And then my cousins uh, had the same education. When I was 17, I had my first paying job in the industry. Mm-hmm. It was at the former Americana on 7th Avenue, which is now the Sheridan Center Hotel. And I didn't want to be known as the relative who was working behind the front desk. So on my name tag, it didn't say Jonathan Tish. It said Jonathan Mark, Mark being my middle name. So that's how I was referred to. And there were funny stories about people trying to check in without reservations. And they would say, I know the Tish family. And I'm thinking, no, you, you really don't. <laughs> don't. Don't try and pull that. Uh, and, and this was in, uh, as I mentioned, in uh, when I was 17. So I think in those days, we were getting a whopping $25 a night for a hotel room. And that was a big hotel. It's still there, still Sheridan still does very well, or, or will do well when when we get our city back. And so the entire seven of us have worked in various roles. And as I mentioned, I have the pleasure and the honor of running the corporation with my two cousins. And my cousin Andrew and I are co-chairman of the board of the Parent Lowe's Corporation. My cousin Jim is. CEO of Lowe's Corporation, and then I've got the hotel responsibility. So uh, it's been in our blood forever, but I I have worked every single job in a hotel. Well, you know, I get a real sense. I mean, I've I've had the pleasure to speak with you briefly before this, but just in general, getting familiar with your family and yourself, Jonathan, uh, I get a real sense of a a strong work ethic and uh, a great um, compassion and empathy because you went through, you've gone through all the jobs that it takes to be in the service industry, in the hospitality industry with what you do. And I get a real sense from both uh, your dad and your uncle and yourself and uh, that you would not ask an employee to do something either you've already done or would, would be willing to do. And I think in this day and age, I think that's very important, don't you? Absolutely. And especially in an industry that, A, is so labor-intensive, which lodging, travel, and tourism are industries that really depend on the women and men who are the cornerstone of our ethic and the cornerstone of who we are as an organization. Mm -hmm. So we are labor-intensive, and we are also a road towards the American dream. When you look at the millions and millions of people who may start their journey uh, in some former manner working in a hotel, now I can probably go through 25, 30, 40 stories, and we're fairly small, of men and women who are in senior positions at Lowe's Hotels who started maybe as a server, as a busser, uh, as a housekeeper, as a pool attendant. And that's what's so great about our industry is the opportunity it provides to so many. The last year and change have been extremely difficult on travel and tourism broadly and the lodging industry more specifically. And we're starting to come out of it. But when we were facing the challenges of a year ago, March, a year ago, April, or even going into the fall, when unemployment was starting to tick down broadly in our country from the very high numbers of March, April, May of 2020 to 7%, 8% in the fall, mm-hmm. unemployment in the lodging industry was still 40%. And that's the impact it's had on the men and women who are vital to us. 
I sit in my office. I'm sitting right now as we're having this enjoyable conversation nice. on Madison Avenue, and uh, I'm I'm here uh, most days. We're we're hoping that our team members uh, will come back soon, but many days I'm here by myself getting the work done that's important to our company. And yet, as I sit here and work with incredibly talented men and women in senior management of our company, I'm not making the beds. I'm not carrying bags to the room. I'm not washing dishes. I'm not bringing somebody uh, a drink or uh, chicken fingers by the pool. We have thousands and thousands of really dedicated women and men who do that, who work hard, who put on a uniform, who deeply care. And I think the years that that I put in uh, doing these roles have been incredibly beneficial to understanding how, yes, we're senior managers and we we make decisions about the future of this organization, but we're not the really the important ones. It's the, the, the men and women in the field who are doing their jobs every single day, and they create an environment where people want to stay with us. We have disadvantages because of our size, with only 27 hotels, right? when you look at the biggest names in lodging, the Marriott's, the, Sh- the Hyatt's, the Hilton's, thousands and thousands of, of hotels, of Marriott with a million hotel rooms, and we're so much smaller, so we have some disadvantages, but we also have some advantages. And the, one of our advantages is that we can really have a relationship and understand what our team members need, and we can offer that to them. And the quid pro quo, or the other side of that, is that they know really what we expect to create this environment where we don't meet our guests' expectations on a regular basis. We try to exceed them. Well, Jonathan, i got to tell you, it's so refreshing, especially what we've been through, um, not only in the last year, but maybe uh, more than that, that uh, your sense of humility, especially at the position that you're at, is so refreshing, and it's so nice to hear. And I just want to let folks uh, remind folks once again that this is WLIW-FM's In Conversation, and it's a real pleasure to have Jonathan Tisch with us, who's the chairman and CEO of Lowe's Hotels and Company, co-owner of the New York Giants, and a longtime EastEnder. And again, I want to mention, we cannot do Jonathan justice in a, in a half hour's amount of time. So, Jonathan, I'm going to jump over, and hopefully we're going to get you back sometime, maybe during the summer when you're out here. We can talk about your experience up in Tufts, and you have you have extensive media uh, experience as well. But I want to mention, if I can, if again, and please correct me if I've got the uh, the timeline wrong. About 1980, you're back in the family business, and this is when you start to come out to the East End. Is that about right? That's uh, the the correct time period, Brian. Okay. I start, I was trying to think uh, when I was uh, on my way into the office this morning, because I knew that we were going to talk about the East End and how much I was looking forward to our, our conversation, nice. which has been terrific. Thanks. And I think my first trip actually was to Amagansett in June of 73. Uh-huh. So it was after my freshman year at Tufts. Our family had an investment with a partner in real estate in Amagansett where they bought one of the large tracts of land, and I think it was subdivided, and I was curious about it. So I truly believe I have a recollection of heading to Amagansett in June of 1973. I started spending more time out east, probably 
in the mid 80s and then i became uh, and and have been consistently traveling to the east end since then and then became a homeowner in uh, 2000 i bought my home in 2000 and i've been blessed to be there for now some 21 years Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so and now this is, I think, uh, an important um, uh, thing that happened with you that I'd, I'd like to ask you about. If Again, if I've got this correct, the day after 9-11, so we're talking about September 12th, mm-hmm. uh, then Mayor Giuliani calls together you and some other prominent business folks in New York City. Is this correct? And they, to, yes, that to, is true. Right, right. To, the, to get to, the meeting was at, uh, a temporary setup, which was at the police academy, which I think I want to say is like on 19th Street okay. off 3rd Avenue. So it was in a facility that obviously was being heavily secured by NYPD. It was September 12th. There were probably 25, 30 women and men who were business leaders who were involved in every aspect of our city. And Mayor Giuliani was obviously reacting. The uh, sad, sad attack had been uh, some 36 hours prior. And the conversation started, okay, there has been this tragedy which will be in our lives forever. We will remember those that we lost. We will think about them regularly. And yet we need to try to rebuild our city. Uh, We have been attacked and we are under siege and we need to figure out a way to get New York City back up and running. And what we quickly realized, and, and I had been involved in New York City's tourism for so many years and following in the footsteps of my father, Bob Tisch, who ran what was then called the New York City Convention the Visitors Bureau for 19 years. He was the unpaid chair. Uh, I was in a similar role for eight years, right when Mayor Bloomberg took office, and now it's called NYC and Company. And we, in this conversation with Mayor Giuliani and other leaders, established that Uh, Thank God that the assets of travel and tourism, the demand generators of travel and tourism, were still functioning. Now, remember that nobody could travel, that the the government shut down air travel, shut down rail travel. But we knew that in two, three weeks, a month, six weeks, that we would be able to travel again. And as I noted, the demand generators, such as restaurants, Broadway, cultural attractions, museums, hotels were all open and they could function. And so we formed what was called New York Rising, and it was a marketing campaign to spread the message that New York, New York City, while mourning, while under attack, New York City was open for business. And And I, go ahead, I'm sorry. No, I was just going to say yeah. that uh, in, in in a month, six weeks, we started to see travelers coming from Oregon, from Hawaii, from California, nice. and the term patriotic tourism was born at that moment because they were carrying signs saying, 
I'm from Oregon, but I support New York City. I'm from Nevada, but I am here to support New York City and get people back to work. Well, I think that was uh, that was an extraordinary thing to do with the, the day after. I, I would have to commend uh, the then mayor of getting folks like yourself and others together. And I think you chaired this uh, New York rising. I yeah. And mm-hmm. I, I think that was great, great hindsight to, to react that quickly, which brings me, uh, as you know, Jonathan, to... Um, w- I'd like to, you know, ask you a little bit about. I, I found when I when I found out about the situation with New York Rising and uh, you being part of that, and you being such a lover of New York City, New Jersey, this area, uh, the East End of uh, Long Island, that. Um, to, to see there's a parallel there to a certain extent. I know they're completely different things, 9-11 and the pandemic, but in a way there's a parallel there. And I wonder, Jonathan, your thoughts about uh, as we uh, approach uh, every, more folks getting vaccinated, and uh, you, I'm sure you see this, this question coming, and the reopenings, how East End hospitality, the industry, will uh, adjust, and do you think we're going to see a surge are folks going to be right out of the box comfortable to come out and uh, and spend and travel and uh, go out to eat more often? Brian, there are many similarities to moments in our history such as we are facing today. Obviously, the issue of a pandemic, nobody who are uh, of our age, uh, nobody of our experience has ever been through this around the world right. and there have been uh, other times where where we've had to react to medical issues and I think of SARS uh, and, and other times but nothing uh, obviously on this scale we have never experienced this and we've been hearing that kind of talk for the past year and when you think back to the financial crisis that faced New York City in the 70s when the Daily News had that famous front page with a picture of Jerry Ford and the headline was New York City Drop Dead. Yeah. And that's, that's when my father, working with such incredibly talented, dedicated New Yorkers such as Lou Rudin, started the Association for a Better New York with people like Felix Rodin who worked with so many who helped us get through that moment. When you think back to 9-11, when you think back to the financial crisis of 07, 08, when you think back to the, the crime in the 70s, this moment is all of those combined. Hmm. And the scale, the scope, the severity of the downturn, the work that we have ahead of us is all a bit numbing. Hmm. It is a bit mind-boggling at times. It is a bit scary, but we're going to get through it. We're going to get through it with the individuals today who represent hope, who represent a future for all eight and a half million New Yorkers in terms of the city and for the great state of New York and for the east end of Long Island. When you look at how our industry is starting to awaken and starting to uh, once again have promise, it is today as we sit here and talk, it is all based on what we call leisure transient business. So that's getting in a car, people now getting more comfortable by getting on an airplane. TSA is telling us that about a million people a day are traveling, those numbers we haven't seen in in more than a year. So it's mainly transient business. That's because business travel is still 
at low, low, low levels. There is no international travel because the borders are still closed, and there are no group meetings. There are no associations. There are no gatherings. There are no conventions. That will all change. Those will come back. But when you think that the business that is being generated today is leisure, and we've got nine hotels in Florida. We have one in Miami, Lowe's Miami Beach. We have eight hotels in Orlando in a joint venture between Comcast, NBC Universal, and Lowe's Hotels. We have 9,000 rooms in Orlando. Five of our eight hotels are currently open, and we'll get the other three open in the next couple of months. And we're starting to do okay. We're starting to see positive interest in people going to the Universal Theme Park and people staying at our properties and people visiting South Florida. So we're, we're feeling good about that. All of this is a positive for the east end of Long Island because it is obviously easily, easily accessible by car. It is accessible through air with Islip, and you are starting to get into obviously much, much better weather. The, the winter was depressing. It was cold. It was dreary. It snowed seemingly <laughs> every, every other day. <laughs> yeah, you're right. And here we are, and today is magnificent. It is beautiful. Out, and yeah. so people are feeling better. And if you can get in your car and visit the East End, and obviously we've all been reading the stories about individuals, families who have decamped, put their kids in school on the East End. And so there was a bit of a vitality even through the dreary winter months that allowed restaurants to extend their time frame of being open, allowed some of the hotels and and uh, lodging facilities on the East End, they had a pretty good winter when there historically hasn't been that much business. Gotcha. So I'm optimistic. I, I think that the sense of people once vaccinated, once feeling better about themselves, they're going to want to go somewhere. And what we are experiencing is there is tremendous pent-up demand. Yeah. People want a experiences back in their lives. And even we saw this uh, even prior to the pandemic is that retail was suffering a bit because people were using their disposable income on travel. They want experiences. They want that shared moment, whether it's with their family, with their significant other, with their spouse, with their children. They want an experience that they will have amazing memories about and of and be able to talk about it, and we're—that's coming back. Well, you know, I, your your optimism is uh, shining through, and I and I certainly appreciate it. I like to hear that. Uh, I just want to remind folks that this is WLIWFM's in conversation, and we're talking with Jonathan Tish, chairman and CEO of Lowe's Hotels and Company, co-owner of the New York Giants, and longtime East Ender. So, before I let you go, Jonathan, you know I got to ask you, sports fans. It's coming. Yeah, it's coming. the sp- question's coming. Sports fans are going to kill me. Now we're we're, we're taping this. A little bit before it actually airs, but the NFL announced that they plan on uh, having full capacity in September. I don't know if that's fingers crossed or not, but uh, what are your thoughts about your team? Well, certainly we are very, very excited about Joe Judge's second year as our head coach. He established himself as a young guy, but with tons of experience, having worked uh, for New England, having worked at Alabama. He came in, he had uh, a lot of help with his assistant coaches, with John Mara, our partner, with the Mara family, and there were signs of improvement last season. Here, we've recently 
gone through the offseason, through free agency. We picked up a couple key players. Uh, the draft will happen in a couple weeks in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. And so we're excited about who we might find through the college ranks. And so we are excited about the coming season. Clearly, we are hope. It is our hope, it is our intention that fans will be there in person. I must say, Brian, going to the games last year was bizarre. Uh, uh, where we sit in, in MetLife Stadium, which holds 82,500 people. Right. Where we sit, we are on the second level. And because fans were not allowed, the only people in the building were the players, coaches, the teams and and security and and the great uh, staff we have uh, out at MetLife but you could you could literally hear the players talking to themselves <laughs> oh my gosh on the sideline yeah. and <laughs> it was it was very strange it was so we're we're hopeful we now clearly the NFL says we want fans but yep. we also uh, have to obviously remind ourselves that we are in uh, there are 32 teams so there are 30 two municipal jurisdictions well maybe a few less because we share a stadium with the New York Jets right. and the the Chargers and the Rams share a stadium but you've got municipalities that are going to have a say in how many people can attend home games and yep. so hopefully hopefully by the time the season starts in early fall uh, people will continue to get vaccinated uh, we are big proponents in uh, encouraging our team members to do that part of the process and take care of yourselves and your families and our, our guests. And nice. so by the fall, we are, we're, fingers crossed, we're, we're hopeful that we will have back to, uh, don't know if it'll be 82,500, but that we'll have fans rooting the team on. Well, that's great news. I've been, I've been a Giants fan uh, since Ron Johnson and Tucker Fredrickson. Mm-hmm. I just, I'm just not quite old enough for the Frank Gifford days, but I caught on <laughs> in the late 60s, and I've been with you know the good times, the bad times, and uh, so I certainly appreciate that as well. Jonathan, a real pleasure. I look forward to uh, talking to you again real soon. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. Stay well. And I really, really enjoyed our conversation. Jonathan Tish on In Conversation on WLIW-FM.